there. It's Gary Parish on Friday, November 2nd, 2018. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. Hope you had a happy Halloween, regardless of whether you trick-or-treated on Halloween or the day before Halloween. Matt Norlander is here with me, and we're, we're now just four days away from the start of the college basketball season. Champions Classic, Tuesday nights, number one Kansas versus number 10 Michigan State, number two Kentucky versus number four Duke, inside Banker's Life Fieldhouse, downtown Indianapolis. I'm going to be there. Norlander's going to be there, and we're going to do a Champions Classic preview on Sunday night's podcast. But today, uh, what I wanted to do is something based on something Norlander wrote for CBSSports.com. Column is probably up by now, and what it is is 37 preposterously plausible and crazy predictions for the 2018-19 season. Let me stop here for a second. 37, is there any significance to that number? Is that just where you decided to stop? No significance to the number of pairs. I try and get to at least 30 and then uh, see where it goes from there. And I just take a look at my 1-353 to 353 and I kind of scan through. And I obviously try and hit on most, if not all, of the teams and coaches and players that will uh, be relevant and at least get something on them and then just try and throw a few different wild cards. I've done this over the past three or four seasons. And uh, I don't know what you're going to do. I don't know which ones you're going to bring up here, but I will say this. Uh, some of them are going to be wrong, but – it is shocking to me more than anyone how frequently I end up getting some of these correct. Like if you go back and look at what I wrote in 2017, then what happened to, to come to be, if you look at 2016 and what came to be in 2015, like it's about half, if not more than half of what I toss out there winds up coming true. And some of them are, are reasonable, but there are some, you know, I do take a few chances here. And, uh, and so as you, as you hear us talk about this now and read it on the site, just, you know, Keep in mind that some of these things might seem a little ridiculous, but I, I am uh, I'm quite the sage. So what I've done is I went through all 37. I picked out there's, – there's more than three that I agree with, and there's probably more than three that I disagree with. But I went and picked out three that I agree with and three that I disagree with, and we'll take them one by one. You want to start with three that I agree with? No, let's, let's get contentious. I want, okay. I, want, I want the three that you don't agree with. The three that I don't agree with. All right, let's start with this one. The Big 12 will be a top-two league. That's what you wrote. I disagree. It's been a top-two league each of the past five years, but I think the top-two leagues, and if we're basing it on the the end-of-the-season Ken Palm ratings, I think the top-two leagues this season are going to be the ACC and the SEC. I think that's in terms of rating and in terms of number of bids to the NCAA tournament. I disagree that the Big 12 will be a top-two league this season. Okay, let's get into this a little bit here. Um, The reason I... The Big 12 has been a, a top league, uh, according to not just Ken Palm, but I know that's our go-to there, but Ken Palm, Sagarin, Massey ratings, you, you name it. It's been the best league through those metrics in college basketball each of the past four seasons. And the reason why it's helped by that is because not just of Kansas's strength, and if you want to say the Big 12 is all Kansas, that's actually not true. All, all of this, all of the which conference stacks up against the other and how they get figured out, it's all based on non-conference play, of course. You can't judge a conference based on how teams within the league play against each other. So when the Big 12 has been rated best overall, it's based upon the fact that the teams that are second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh in the league, how they have performed against all other teams in Division One, and how those wins – and winning percentage stacks up to the strength of teams and everyone else. It's been the Big 12 by far. Now, the size of the conference does have a, a factor, in my opinion, um, which is why I think the SEC being good this year is going to be all the more impressive because of how deep it is. And it's frankly why the ACC, though, it's always got that top third that's really, really good. 
there should be teams at the bottom that drag the ACC down, Parrish, but it just it doesn't seem to happen year after year. I'm pretty in on the Big 12 still being top two because of the strength of the league and how compact it is. I still think you'll have Oklahoma, Oklahoma State probably near the bottom, but Iowa State I think is going to be a tournament team. TCU, Kansas State, Texas Tech, absolutely. I think Baylor will sneak into the tournament. And so if you have 60 or 10 going to the NCAAs is what I expect from the Big 12. I still think... You know, when we look up in January, when almost everything has been decided, there'll be a few more non-conference games like the SEC, uh, Big 12 Challenge, and stuff like that. I still think the Big 12 will rate metrically as 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 a top two conference. But here's what I toss back to you: I don't know if you're making that statement based upon uh, what it comes through in the ratings, or if you're going to say, "Listen, when I look at the Big 12 and I look at its top three or four teams, and then I look at the SEC and I look at the ACC, and I'm going to judge this conference not necessarily top to bottom, but I'm going to judge it based off the teams I think have second weekend potential in the NCAA tournament." I think that's a fair conversation. I just happen to view a league as a league. Every single team, uh, from the best to the worst, they all get thrown into the same pot, and you evaluate that way. For whatever it's worth, I think the top two teams in the SEC are better than the top two in the Big 12. I think the top three are better than the top three, top four better than the top four, top five better than the top five. I've got three uh, SEC schools in my top ten. That's Kentucky, Tennessee, and Auburn. I only got one Big 12. That's Kansas. Um, I've got five in my top 20 from the SEC. I've only got four Big 12 teams in my top 20 from the SEC. It's Kentucky, Tennessee, Auburn, Mississippi State, uh, LSU. From the Big 12, it's Kansas, Kansas State, West Virginia, TCU. I think Florida is the sixth best team in the SEC, and I still think Florida's better than the fifth best team in the Big 12. So the SEC is going to have some, presumably have some garbage at the bottom, just because when you have this many schools in a, in a league, you're going to have some garbage at the bottom. Somebody's got to be bad. And the bottom of the Big 12 might end up being better than the bottom of the SEC. But I think the top of the SEC is going to be significantly better than the top of the Big 12. And that's why I, I'm I, I'm a big believer in that league this season. Like eight, nine bids to the NCAA tournament, I think is a reasonable goal to have. I'm high on the SEC, and the ACC is always, you know, with Duke, Carolina, Virginia, um, they're always going to be strong at the top. I just think the top of the SEC and the top of the ACC are significantly better than the top of, of the Big 12. I can, I can buy that for sure. Um, I, the SEC should be coming – pretty strong this year uh and it's been a long time coming for that league if it doesn't well we'll write about it and we'll address it on the podcast uh you know by late november i would assume with all the the interesting non-conference tournaments and exempt events that are going to happen so um i like the disagreement i personally would be shocked if it winds up if we're gonna if we're gonna judge it on on how they fall and three or four of the, of the metrics and ranking systems. And by the way, I wonder if the NCAA's net ranking uh, or NET, that's, I guess it's to be determined what our default uh, pronunciation of that's going to be, um, if that will also evaluate conference strength. Um, but I'm, I, would, I would say I'm top five confidence in all of the predictions I have that the Big 12 will be a top two league in college basketball this season. Okay, so another one that I disagree with is – you say West Virginia will be the only team from the preseason top 25 that will not make the NCAA tournament. I disagree with this on a couple of different levels. First, I, I think West Virginia is going to be in the NCAA tournament. Secondly, there's going to be more than one preseason top 25 team that doesn't uh, make the NCAA tournament. It'll be because either they just underachieve 
or they were overvalued in October, or injury suspensions get them, like what happened last season to uh, to Minnesota. They fall apart because of injuries and, and suspensions. That's going to happen to somebody. It happens to somebody every season. And then, you know, not every team that's supposed to be good is good. Northwestern is an example of that last season. So I disagree on two levels. One, there's no way 24 of the 25 uh, preseason ranked teams are all there, – there's no way 24-25 making the NCAA tournament. I mean, obviously there's a way, but I just, I'll bet against it. And I do think West Virginia is going to be in the NCAA tournament. How dare you disrespect Bob Huggins like that? Yeah, I know. I'll say what? I'll say this. Uh, the Big 12 one, that's a top five confidence. This one is like a bottom two confidence, like unquestionably. But I know that there will be at least one preseason top 25 team that won't make it. So I was looking through, and just as a refresher, this is AP top 25. So most people realize the top 10, but real quick, 11 through 25, Auburn, K-State, West Virginia, Oregon, Virginia Tech, Q's, Florida State, Mississippi State, Michigan, TCU, UCLA, Clemson, LSU, Purdue, Washington. The two others, if you want to say, like, you got to at least put three in there to make it, you know, bend to the trend of last season and other recent seasons, I I would say Purdue, but I, I can't uh, I can't do that because I picked Carson Edwards to be the preseason player of the year, and there's no way that will happen if Purdue doesn't get to the NCAA tournament. So I still think Purdue's going to get there, um, so I have them going – Clemson, I'd buy it if you wanted to make that argument, but I still think they've returned so much and they've got so much veterans, so many veterans there that they still have a shot. So I'm still in on Clemson as well. So I'm going to stick with just West Virginia. I know that it's a mistake. I'm sure the Mountaineers are going to wind up with like a five seed and make me look like an idiot in retrospect. But regardless, I figured you were coming with that, Parrish. A couple of things on West Virginia. Um, Obviously, they lose some significant pieces from last season's team. But they've made the NCAA tournament every season since going to Press Virginia. They've been a top two team in defensive turnover percentage each of the past four years. They've made the NCAA tournament each of the last four seasons. And they, in fact, it, it hasn't even been a deal where they've had to sneak in. They finished in the top 25 at Ken Palm each of the past four seasons. So I'm just going to trust uh, future Hall of Fame coach Bob Huggins because I do think he, he deserves to be in the Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame. I'm going to trust future uh, Hall of Fame coach Bob Huggins to continue to do what he's always done since he's committed to this style of play, which is be good regardless of the pieces and operate in the top half of the Big 12 and uh, get into the NCAA tournament rather easily. I, I feel about uh, West Virginia the way I feel about another school I'll bring up later on. Like, once you have consistently been good, despite roster turnover, despite recruiting classes, just like for whatever reason, you've created a culture and an environment where the pieces that you have available to you uh, consistently um, do the job. And when it's time for guys to step into new roles, they're able to do it. Uh, I'm just going to trust programs like that until I'm, until they prove otherwise. And that's why I, I trust West Virginia to get back to the NCAA tournament. I, if you're looking for a school in the top 25 that, 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 that won't make it or, or possibly won't make it, and again, I think it'll be more than one, uh, you touched on one. Uh, Purdue is the one that is a big question mark for me because, um, listen, I'm a big fan of Matt Painter. I think he's terrific. Carson Edwards, obviously terrific. But uh, they didn't just lose a couple pieces. They lost four starters. They are asking everybody on that roster except Carson 
to play a different role this season. That's tough. Uh, listen, I, if you told me to bet one way or the other, I'd bet Purdue is in the NCAA tournament. But if you're asking me to identify a school that might not get there, like the most likely candidate, that's probably where I would start. And if you're looking for maybe another one, programs, I guess, that are just the opposite of what I'm talking about with West Virginia, programs that haven't done it. You know, Washington's in the top 25, and I understand that. But they have, you know, they, they got to do something that they haven't done. And, you know, this coaching staff and that roster, you know, they got to be good. And they were good last season, but but not great. Not good enough to make the NCAA tournament. You know, Washington is a is somebody that fits that description. Are they really ready to break through? Maybe. Yes. Um. But but yeah, yeah. I mean, I think so too. Uh, they're in the top twenty-five for a reason. But if I were looking for candidates from the top twenty-five that might not make it to the tournament, I'd start with Purdue and Washington. I would not start with West Virginia. All right. What's your third one? You wrote. And this is incredibly disrespectful to Tim Miles. You wrote that the Nebraska job is one of the jobs that is going to open. Why do you think such a thing? Why you got to bring this one up? You you fired Tim Miles. I on, did not. Like I did not. I did not. Season, you fired I Tim did Miles. not fire Tim Miles. I thought you liked Tim Miles. I do like Tim Miles. I did not fire Tim Miles. Can you read me the exact wording of that of that capsule that prediction? I I guess I can. Let right. me find it. Let me find where you fired Tim Miles. The biggest jobs to open by the end of March will be DePaul, Penn State, Nebraska, Washington State, and one wildcard gig that could create chaos. You fired Tim Miles. The job will open, in my estimation. I do oh, not believe you think, that. You think Tim Miles is getting another job. Correct. I think that Nebraska will be good enough to the point where it would not stun me if Tim Miles – who is going to be a Division One coach for a long time, in my opinion, finds uh, potentially another place to be coaching next season. That's all. I could be wrong. Again, some of these are admittedly preposterous, but um, or it can go the other way. Like I've actually kind of I've, I've covered uh, two bases here. Or Nebraska, which absolutely should be in the NCAA tournament. Um, if it fails to get there, it's it's accepted that they're I, they're almost certainly going to to go elsewhere and look look somewhere else, and so Miles will get fired. But I don't think that's what will happen. I think actually Nebraska is going to be really really good, and there might be a job that opens up that potentially Miles could have interest in, and and then so that's why it's going to open. I it's too funny, Paris, that you I almost didn't put that in the story, but so it's just too funny that you that's the one thing that you zeroed in on with your little freaking radar. <laughs> And brought up on the podcast, but uh, but yeah, you got to take a few chances, and so that's that's my that's my stance. Okay, so um, okay, so you think the Nebraska job will open, not necessarily because Tim Miles gets fired, but because Tim Miles gets another job. All right, I, I hear you. I actually I, I think that's likely, um, uh, not likely. I think it's possible. Um, you know, Nebraska. I'm with you. Going to be good. I, that's a team that I should maybe have in my top 25 and one, but don't preseason top 40 at Ken Palm. They are picked fourth in the Big Ten preseason poll. Got the top four scorers back from a team that went 13-5 and five in the Big Ten last season. They almost made the NCAA tournament. James Palmer's back. He averaged 17.2 points, 4.4 rebounds, 3.0 assists. I will say this. Um, I think if Tim has the type of season that he could have, you he'd be smart to start looking around, even for uh, you know a, a comparable job because Nebraska has all the resources in the world now, beautiful arena, uh, you know, Tim's got private planes that is, you know, um, you know, whenever he needs them. But that's a hard job. And he's made it look easier than it is. 
But that's one of the most difficult jobs in that league. And if you if you can bounce, again, even to a comparable job and just get fresh set of expectations, um, you know, a new five, six-year deal. Like, I'm a, I'm a big believer, not just in Tim Miles needing to bounce out of Nebraska after what would be his seventh season, but just anybody at a job like that, if you've done seven years there without getting fired, that's great. That's a great situation. But, you know, after a while, schools just want to change for the sake of change. Your jokes aren't as funny to the boosters anymore. And you get start getting put on hot seat list, whether you're doing a good job at your job or not. I think anybody, like, it, say I'd say the same thing about Pat Chambers. Like, if Pat Chambers could break through at Penn State and get even a comparable job or maybe even a worse job, like, it's it's time to bounce. It's hard to stay at these types of places this long. And if Tim actually gets in the NCAA tournament and he can find a comparable job, I'd take that comparable job. Even if um, – listen, I should say this. It's very easy for me to say what I would do. I don't have to move my family. You know, if you've just – I used to say all the time Mark Rick should leave Georgia because ultimately what was going to happen is exactly what happened. He was going to get fired. And when I talked to somebody, they said, well, from a job perspective, you're exactly right. He should leave Georgia. You know, but his whole family is in Georgia. And I don't mean just like his wife and kids, but he's moved his in-laws to Georgia, his parents to like everybody's there. It's not just him moving. It's him moving multiple households. And so, you just ride the thing out as long as you can ride the thing out. If Tim wants to do that, that's fine with me. But from a job perspective, and that makes sense to me, but from a job perspective, if he could do what you're predicting he will do, I think it's smart. Nebraska basketball has seven NCAA tournament appearances in its history, only two of which did not come in the 1990s. So if Miles is able to get that program to an eighth one in school history, you're right. He's just – I. From where I sit, I think he's in a in a spot where, for the betterment long term of his career, if there is an opportunity there, I, I would suspect because he is a very easy guy to he's he's a rare coach in college basketball who is uh, a, a really good coach, fairly media savvy, funny in his own you know self admittedly like you know quasi-nerdy way. Like, there just aren't a lot of guys with the personality profile of Tim Miles in college basketball, who, by the way, can also be really good at their job. I think it's actually a hard thing to pull off in all of major college sports, regardless of sport. Um, so, yeah, he's due for, a, for, a, for I think, a, just a fresh start at some point. If not this season, I would think in the, in the coming couple of seasons. Okay. Well, let, let, me, let me stop you here for a second, okay. because the other side of this is that whether it's a Big Ten program or an SEC program, even if they don't value basketball as a university to the way, you know, a Kentucky or a Kansas or an Indiana does, they got all the money in the world. And so if you're going to go try to take Nebraska's coach, you're going to have to pay because Nebraska can pay whatever it wants to pay. They can, they can, they, if Nebraska needs to go to $3.5 million a year to keep 10 miles, it can do that. These schools in the Big Ten and the SEC have more money than they know what to do with. They, they, they're just that's why they're throwing up new facilities all the time they just they've got just money on top of money on top of money so that's the other thing that might keep you at nebraska uh you know a comparable job might want you but nebraska might just be able to trump whatever it is a, a comparable job can offer you because they've got that kind of money and that's something that 
that should be considered as well. Can I ask you what you think of my aside on that prediction? Um, I don't necessarily believe that this is likely to happen, but given the way – what's Oklahoma City's record right now? They've got off to a bad start, although they're they're playing better now. Okay, so the Oklahoma, so the the aside on that is let's just let's just wait and see what happens with the Oklahoma City Thunder this season and see if Billy Donovan's name gets brought back into the conversation of of college coaching. Right now, as we record this podcast, the Thunder are eleventh in the loaded West and they're three and four. We'll see if the Thunder. Let's say they finish ninth. Let's say they don't, or they yeah. Let's say they don't make the playoffs. Um, I, I think that. Donovan's name, if 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 he does get fired, and I don't, I don't know if that will happen. The way that the NBA works when it comes to firing coaches can can sometimes be maddening. But if that does happen, obviously Donovan's name will be attached to any major job that opens. Now, I don't think that we're necessarily on track, Parish, to have a major job open in March. But that's the beauty of college basketball. There will be some things that we just simply can't foresee. And if and when that happens and the Thunder aren't good, I think the, the way that the carousel can really start moving and spinning is if Donovan gets involved again. Do you do you expect that to be, you know, if we simulated out the season 10,000 times, do you think there's a reasonable uh, percentage that that you would see Donovan getting fired at the Thunder and then potentially getting back into college basketball soon thereafter be this season or the next? I think it could happen. Um, I don't predict that it will because I think Oklahoma City is going to be good enough for him to keep his job. But eventually, he will get fired from Oklahoma City because they're committed to this Russ-Paul George thing, and that is always going to be good enough to make you good but not good enough to make you great. Um, And in the NBA, unless you're great – you eventually get fired. Like, it, it, like just being consistently good in the NBA gets you nowhere as a coach. You get fired. I mean, the guy who was um, the number one seed in the Eastern Conference last year got fired. Um, the, the NBA coaching coach of the years get fired. Uh, so, you know, Billy will event. This is what this is the way it's going to play out at Oklahoma City. He's going to never be bad, but he's going to never be great. And that's the type of guy that gets fired. And, I mean, obviously bad guys get fired. But just being good in the NBA, after a while, somebody decides that's just not good enough. We'd rather, we'd rather just try somebody else, even if, um, even if uh, you're doing a, 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 a good job in your job. Like, the Grizzlies are a great example of this. Like, they fire Lionel Hollins, coming off a playoff appearance. Fire Dave Yeager, coming off a playoff appearance. Fired Dave David Fisdale just a few games into a season, coming off a playoff appearance. Like people want great, and if they don't think you're great or ever going to get you there, they they fire you. So Billy will coach college basketball again. Brad Stevens, I don't think ever will, but I do think Billy Donovan and I think Fred Hoiberg too. I think both of them will coach in college basketball again, and obviously they'll both be candidates for any when when they come back, they will do exactly what John Calipari did when he came back from the NBA is they simply take best job available. When John came back to college basketball, Memphis was the best job available. When Billy comes back, he'll take best job available. When Fred comes back, he'll take best job available. And if they both come back at the same time, I think Billy takes best job available and Fred takes next best job available. And just to put this in perspective, Eric Spolstra, you know, 
if you don't follow the NBA on a day-to-day basis, like, you know, Spolstra, he's been with the Heat, he coached LeBron, still seems like a relatively young guy. He's been with Miami for 10 seasons. He's the second longest tenured coach in the NBA. Donovan is going into year four with the Thunder, and it basically puts him in the top 40%, maybe even top 30% of the longest tenured coaches in the league. He's one more season away from being halfway to a decade, which means like you've essentially like you've made it. If you can make it five years, you've done a great job. I, you know, there are some coaches that, that are set up um, to not be fired, but it's so rare. Like, you know, hard to see how Steve Kerr, let's, let's run down right, real quick. Steve Kerr, Greg Popovich, maybe Rick Carlisle. He's got an amazing reputation in the NBA with the Dallas Mavericks. Um, Quinn Snyder, maybe Brad Stevens. That's the list. Like, I even think if Miami was not good in the next two years, Spolster would get fired. So it, it's, you're usually just not long for the NBA unless you are Hall of Fame material or as close to that as possible. Um, so... You make a good point on Hoiberg, though. Um, I, I do think that college, returning to college will be in his future as well. And uh, if and when that happens, you know what? Be good to have some familiar faces come back. Obviously, college is driven by the, uh, the star power of its coaches so much more uh, than the NBA. I believe, I mean, speaking of what I'm talking about, like Ty Lue was in the NBA Finals uh, last year, already <laughs> fired this on. year. Uh, obviously, Which is ridiculous. Games. We don't have to make this an NBA podcast, but that's insane. Like you lose LeBron James and you start off you start off slow. I get all that, and you're just gone. Like six games in, NBA loses its damn mind sometimes. But that's part of what drives so much of the interest and in, in conversation around the league. But that's just that's insanity. You don't you don't bring a coach back, Parrish, to fire him before we even get to November. I'll tell you what's even crazier with that organization: committing to Kevin Love, committing to Cal Corver, committing to trying to come back and be a playoff team even without LeBron. And then six games into it, deciding, nope, we're not going to do that anymore. And bench J.R. Smith, bench Cal Corver, and say we're going to play young guys because we're already in tank mode. What? Like, why, why wouldn't you decide that in July? Why are you deciding that in, in October? It's just crazy. Then you, you realize why nobody should blame LeBron James for, for leaving Cleveland. It's, it's, it is a, a terribly run organization uh, from the top down. All right, you want to go through what, what I agree with? Let's do it. You wrote that Kentucky will make another Final Four. I obviously agree with that. I've got Kentucky number one in the top 25 and one. You know, John's made it. This is remarkable. And I know some people bang on him for only having one national title despite, and I think I went through it this offseason, you can, you can reasonably say that he could have won a national title in 2006 that was with the Memphis team with Darius Washington, Rodney Carney, Sean Williams. Uh, it was, I think, Antonio Anderson and Chris Douglas Robert, Robert Dozier's freshman year. Um, that team was a one seed in the NCAA tournament, lost in the Elite Eight to UCLA in Oakland, which was crazy. Like, why, why are you the one seed playing a two seed um, in California? It was like 18,000 UCLA fans, a road game. John was forever mad about that. Um, but but they lost there. If they would have gone to the Final Four, at the 2006 Final Four, they would have been the only number one seed there. They would have been the favorite to win the NCAA tournament. Now, they might have lost to Florida because Florida was awesome, but they would have been the highest uh, remaining seed. 2008, I mean, they're a, they're a Mario Chalmers missed jumper from winning a national championship. 2010, I think they had the best team. They certainly had the most talented team, John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins. 2012, they actually get it done. 2015, 
I think they've got the best team. So that's 6, 8, 10, 12, 15. At least five different times you can reasonably say John Calipari had at, at, at a moment in the NCAA tournament had the best team left in it, and he's only got one title. So people bang on him about that. I get it. It's a reasonable point. Um, but he's made four Final Fours in nine seasons at Kentucky. That's twice as many as any other coach in the country in that same span. Twice as many. He's made it five times in the past 11 seasons overall, four times in the past eight seasons overall. Past eight seasons, uh, on average, uh, every other year on average, Kentucky is in the Final Four. So when I tweeted my Final Four yesterday, and it's really just the top four of my top 25 and one. I'm not trying to get too complicated with this. Somebody said, oh, you always pick Kentucky to go to the Final Four. Well, you know what? That's a pretty smart thing to do because they go more often than anybody else. They do. They do, and they're going to go this year. I'm pretty confident of it if they avoid. All these, by the way, come with the unspoken qualifier. If you can avoid significant serious injury or other roster alterations, be it suspensions, what have you, um, I'm way in on Kentucky. Um uh, just in terms of them being good almost immediately, I can't wait to see this team play Tuesday night. Sometimes in the in recent seasons, Parrish, you've had Kentucky need a minute to to get themselves, and that's even being kind. They've been you know, but they they usually have found their fourth or fifth gear come February or really March in a couple of instances. But I don't think that's going to be the case here. I understand you're bringing in a grad transfer and Reed Travis, but to me, he's not the kind of player that it's going to – like, I think they already know what they're getting from him, and he's so smart. He's like he's just a smart basketball player and on top of being a really smart human. It's just not going to take long at all for him to get adjusted. They're bringing in freshmen, but they've got a lot of – sophomores are veterans. Like, they're true veterans at Kentucky. It's just the way it's run there. I'm, I'm very in on them, uh, on them getting there, and if they do and when they do, it'll be 18 Final Fours for Kentucky in that program's history, and it would be the fifth in a decade for Cal. It is so hard to win the national championship. It's almost as hard, obviously, to get to a Final Four when you really take the task of an entire season uh, hoping to avoid injury, getting to a seeding spot that allows you the best possible path to get to the Final Four, and then, by the way, you gotta you got to push through to that. To go five times in 10 years is absurd. Only a few coaches have ever done that in that amount of time. Shashevsky, Wooden, that might be the list. That might be the list, Parrish. Maybe Izzo, five in 10 years, I guess. Um, and if I'm missing someone else, my apologies. I'm just vamping off the top of my head. But if and when that happens, um, it'll be the latest validation of Cal's overall credentials as a coach. I happen to believe he gets a lot of credit for his ability uh, X and O wise, but you do it again um, with this group. I think it'll just extend his rep even beyond that. I think Izzo went five and 11, man, five and 99, 2000, 2001, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah. He went five and 11. He went six in 12. So six and 12 is pretty good. Still, still just, yeah, crazy. Really, really uh, good. So on Kentucky, you make a good point. Like there have been some of these teams that John's coach that have been highly rated, and they have a little bit of a you know rocky road in November, December, and even into January. But I, I've written and talked so much about Kentucky, I, I feel like I've I, I've done all the research on basically any point anybody could make. If I remember correctly, the teams that have their ups and downs, um, like like last season's team early, I guess. Uh, they're the ones that are totally reliant on freshmen that are just like they they brought almost nothing back. And you look out and they they've got four freshmen uh, at least, you know, on the court at all times or, or most times. 
the teams that have had some better roster balance, like 2010, like 2012, like 2015, you know, where they had some non-freshmen who were key players. You know, three of the top six scores on the top on the 2012 championship team were not freshmen. Everybody remembers Anthony Davis, Michael Gilchrist, Marcus T. Three of the top they were they were the best players, but three of the top six were not were not freshmen. That matters. And this team, three of the top six players are not going to be freshmen. That is why I think Kentucky is going to be great right from the start. I do not expect this to be one of the Kentucky teams that. You know, take some early losses and people are going, ooh, what's wrong with Kentucky? Like, there are years where we have those conversations. What's wrong with Kentucky? Are they going to figure it out? They almost always figure it out. Um, But this is, I don't think this is one of those seasons. I think they're going to be great right from the start. Regardless of what happens on Tuesday night in Indianapolis, I think they're going to be great right from the start and they'll be in the top 10 all season. I'll be surprised if they drop out of the top 10. All right, we're, what's some of my other brilliance that you found yourself vigorously nodding your head along to as you read these? You wrote that James Wiseman is going to commit to Memphis over Kentucky, and I believe that that's true. I think, I, listen, I thought anybody who thought DJ Jeffries was really going to commit to Mississippi State or Ole Miss over Memphis was were being ridiculous, even though DJ Jeffries himself thought that he was going to go to Mississippi State. Like, that's the quote DJ gave after he committed to Memphis. Two weeks ago, I was headed to Mississippi State. No, you weren't. Two weeks ago, you were frustrated because you didn't feel like you were getting quote-unquote love from Penny and that staff. But before you committed anywhere, you were going to have a final sit-down with Penny Hardaway. And then Penny Hardaway was going to tell you what you needed to hear, show you the proper love, and then you were going to commit to Memphis. That's always the way the DJ Jeffries recruitment after he decommitted from Kentucky was going to go. You do not decommit from Kentucky to go to Mississippi State or Ole Miss. And I say that with all due respect to Mississippi State and Ole Miss because it's too quality SEC programs led by coaches who I like. But you do not, if you're a Memphis area kid, decommit from Kentucky to go to Mississippi State and Ole Miss. You decommit from Kentucky to stay home and play for the coach you've already played for before on the grassroots uh, circuit and a coach you've known for years. This is a lesson not just for people who follow recruiting, but just a lesson in life in general. Do not ever trust what somebody says when they are excited or frustrated. People say things all the time when they're frustrated or excited that are not actually true. They think they're true. They don't think they're lying because they're not lying. They're saying what they feel at that moment, but it's not a real thing. And DJ Jeffries, out of frustration, thinking two weeks ago he was going to go to Mississippi State over Memphis, it wasn't a real thing. Um, I sell that to say this. There is not a single point in time from July 30th, which is the day DJ Jeffries decommitted from Kentucky, till last Saturday, which is the day he committed to Memphis, that I thought he was doing anything other than committing to Memphis. Nobody else was a serious contender for him. Penny was always going to close that deal. But with Wiseman, I don't know. I don't, I don't have that um, type of conviction. Um, I do believe it's going to be Kentucky or Memphis, and nobody else is a serious candidate. I don't care. Same thing. The Wiseman family has said they're wide open and that Kansas has a shot, Florida State has a shot, Vanderbilt has a shot. No, it's going to be Kentucky or Memphis. Nobody else is getting James Wiseman. And I think it's still something close to a coin flip. I never count out Cal until it's done, but I do think he's going to go to Memphis. Um, and, and, and I'll tell you why I think so in a second, but first tell me why you think so. My instinct on this is – given that he's from the area, obviously his relationship with Penny, 
the momentum behind the Memphis program and then what is still to come this season before he makes that call, I think no matter what happens, it's going to benefit Penny and Memphis. Either they play really decently well and Wiseman sees that, okay, you know what? I go play with guys I know, coaches I really like. I get to be a hometown hero uh, that if if we're really, really good, like I'm, I'm really one of the – all-time legends in this city. Um, from what I gather about James, that's not something that he necessarily shies away from, and that's not the case with every five-star prospect being heavily courted by a hometown program. It's just not. Um, so if that all happens, you step into a good situation and bring it to a potentially elite situation. Or what I actually think will happen, Memphis will be up and down this season. It won't be quite as good. Penny and his staff settle them on, listen, this is year one. You already see the guys we are bringing into this program, and think about the guys that are returning next year. You are the piece that changes this the, the direction of this this program completely. You are the centerpiece. You will be a potential number one pick. You'll never be as big anywhere else, Kentucky included, as you will here at Memphis. You know the area. This is why we're going to sell you. Those elements are why I think this particular recruitment will be the rare instance where Cal loses out on a non-traditional recruiting power and – if and when it happens, I actually think then um, it turns Memphis and Penny into a recruiting power, not not even-eyed with Kentucky, not even-eyed with Duke, but absolutely then sitting at that table. If, if, if and when that happens, you can look back at every player that Penny got since he got the job to commit to Memphis, and yes, absolute national legitimate power of top five status in the sport if Wiseman picks the Tigers over the Wildcats. It um, it would if he does pick Memphis over Kentucky. That would be two players from the class of 2019 that John Calipari thought he was going to get before Penny Hardaway was hired that he will not have gotten once Penny Hardaway was hired. It's why Penny Hardaway becoming the Memphis coach was the best thing for Memphis, as I've detailed a million times in a million ways. It's the worst thing for Kentucky. Not big picture, I don't think. Just like I don't think that suddenly Memphis is just going to be going around the country beating Kentucky for five-star prospects. Kentucky can go anywhere and get, and compete for anybody. Um, there's some evidence that maybe Memphis is on that track because they're involved with like two top five players from the class of 2020, both of whom have already officially visited campus, who are not from Memphis. You know, they've got um, a, a you know with Sam Mitchell and Mike Miller. Um, you know, some, some guys who have relationships that, that could create uh, uh, commitments that, that lead to enrollments with, with five-star guys outside of the area. Um, it, but I don't think that they're suddenly going to be recruiting. Like, I don't think we're going to be talking in two years that the three uh, monsters on the recruiting trail are Mike Krzyzewski and Duke, John Calipari in Kentucky, and Penny Hardaway in Memphis. Maybe, but I doubt it. But it's a bad thing for Kentucky that he got hired as it relates to this class. Because Kentucky had zeroed in on DJ Jeffries and James Wiseman, and they were going to get them both really with ease. I mean, Jeffries, they actually did secure a commitment from, even if it didn't last that long. And Wiseman was going to go to Kentucky. It was done, done, done. And then Penny gets hired, and he's gotten DJ to flip. And I, I, I think that he'll ultimately beat Kentucky for James Wiseman because, you know, inside of a recruiting battle, there are lots of little recruiting battles that some people don't pay attention to, but I think they're important. For instance, with Wiseman, I can just tell you matter-of-factly, John Calipari did not want him playing for the Bluff City Legends this past summer, which was formerly known as Team Penny. 
but James Wiseman played for them. And he was surrounded all spring and summer by Penny's people. And then when the EYBL circuit was over, guess what he did? Started practicing with uh, M33M. I think they had to change the name of that as well. Um, But obviously, Mike Miller. It's Mike Miller's cousin runs it. It's Mike Miller's team that Mike Miller's cousin runs it. So he went straight James Wiseman in from being around uh, Penny's people every day to being around Mike Miller's cousin every day. I can also tell you this. John Calipari in in the staff at Kentucky did not want Wiseman to stay at East High School. There was some talk in the summer that he was going to go to Finley Prep. And the reason they wanted him to go to Friendly Friendly Prep is they wanted him out of Memphis. But he he stayed at East High School. And the head coach at East High School right now is like Penny's best friend. He's surrounded by Penny's people every day. And he's also in this city every day. And you cannot overstate the excitement around the Memphis program right now. And he feels it every day. If he were in Las Vegas, he wouldn't. If he were anywhere else, he wouldn't. But he hears it every day. He feels it every day. And ultimately, if Penny and John were at odds over where James Wiseman plays on the grassroots level, and Penny won that one. And then they were at odds on where he goes to high school for his senior year, and Penny won that one. I think he's going to win the big one too. I think James Wiseman commits to Memphis at some point. And if that does happen, um, I just think that it will be arguably a top five headline of college basketball this season because of the elements that would surround it if he picks Memphis over Kentucky. And, you know, ironically, it would involve a player, not even not even an active Division One player, but I just think that it has serious reverberations. He is the number one player in the class. We wait and see on when that will happen, and, uh, and if indeed it does. All right, what's the last one, let, 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 let me hit you with this. Okay. Has a first-year college coach ever landed the number one prospect in the country? Like, oh, uh, can't be. I would doubt it. Can't. No way that's happened, right? No way. No, I'm, I, yeah, like, like John Calipari could come back to Memphis and land DeWan Wagner, but John Calipari had already been at UMass. Right. He, he was not a first-time college coach. Has a first-time college coach ever secured a commitment from the number one prospect in the country in the same calendar year that he was hired? I don't think so. No. Uh, if it's happened, tell us. But I don't see how that's even, frankly, possible. Because in order to do that, all the stars have to align. You have to have uh, the prospect uh, probably local. And then the coach has to be of serious renown. And obviously Penny, um, who I, I don't want to keep going on this but the, the the other the other element of all this is that the players that are getting recruited by Penny Hardaway now their parents if they were remotely interested in pro basketball were infatuated with Penny Hardaway or or really really uh, aware of him because it was impossible not to love Penny Hardaway as a pro player. Forget about what he even did when it was Memphis State. Uh, he was one of the most marketable, enjoyable players to watch in the 90s into the early, well, really 90s, but you know, early 2000s when his career was coming to an end. So when he's walking into these homes w- w- with these parents, um, if they're familiar with him, I think that has a certain kind of pull as well. You know, he was first team All-NBA in 1995 and 1996. That means one of the top five players in the NBA, and that was at a very early age. And then, of course, injuries, a lot like what happened to Derrick Rose, um, happened to Penny Hardaway. It's wild that the two most talented Memphis basketball players probably ever, um, 
you know, they were both all NBA guys earlier in their careers and headed for the Hall of Fame. I mean, Penny Hardaway would have been a Hall of Famer if he stayed healthy. Derrick Rose would have been a Hall of Famer if he stayed healthy. It's wild that, you know, Memphis has zero Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame basketball players, and it would have two if not for injuries. It would have Penny Hardaway and, and, and Derrick Rose. So you're exactly right. Kids don't remember that. But their parents remember how awesome he was, and then the kids go back and call it up on YouTube. And if you ever go watch Penny Hardaway's highlights, there is nobody that plays like him anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was a six-seven, like phenom, and saw things developing in ways that ninety-nine point nine percent of humans cannot. I mean, there was a reason people thought he was the next Magic Johnson or the next Michael Jordan. Because he was awesome. Like seriously, when you're bored, go pull up Penny Hardaway's highlights on YouTube from early in his Orlando Magic career. He was unreal. And the other interesting thing about this staff, and we'll move on shortly, um, it, it's unique in a lot of different ways. Uh, one, like it's got a first-year head coach who probably is about to uh, to to get the number one prospect in the country. I don't think that's ever happened. How about this? The head coach and two of his assistants never worked on a college campus in their lives before this past March. Has that ever happened? Has there ever been a staff at the Division I level where three of the four main members, the head coach and the three assistants, where the head coach and two assistants are working on a college campus for the first time ever? Has that ever happened? I have no idea. <laughs> it's got to be rare. Yeah. And then here's the other one wealthiest college basketball staff in history who could even compete how much it's is like mike Penny, how much is mike miller more than 100 million dollars <laughs> it's the it's the wealthy they so so it's unique in a variety of ways and also the wealthiest college basketball coach in the history of the college basketball staff in the history of the sport yeah a lot of a lot of intriguing things going on there okay last thing i agree with you on you said that Kansas, Duke, Michigan State, Gonzaga, Cincinnati, and North Carolina will all extend their NCAA tournament streaks. And I agree with every bit of that. The one question mark, and this is the program I wanted to focus on. By the way, Kansas has been to 29 straight, Duke to 23 straight, Michigan State to 20 straight, Gonzaga 19 straight, Cincinnati and Carolina 8 straight. The one people might take issue with is Cincinnati. They're the one that's not ranked in the preseason AP poll, I think. Um, and they lose Gary Clark, Kyle Washington, and Jacob Evans. But and this circles back nicely to when I was talking about West Virginia, I'm just going to trust coaches who run programs, who almost regardless of the pieces that come back, pieces that leave, recruiting classes that are assembled, they're just good. They've created a culture. They've got, a, uh, they've got, um, they've got an identity, and they're just good. You don't On paper, you always wonder if they're going to be good. But in March, you look up, and they've been good. And Cincinnati is that. Eight straight NCAA tournament appearances. And I don't know that their roster has ever looked like you could safely assume they're going to be in the NCAA tournament. You know, that, that's the thing. Like, Mick has done an amazing job there of uh, rebuilding post-Huggins and then um, maintaining it. Um, and he's done it without, like, going out and getting top 50 guys. I mean, they had Lance Stevenson, and they've gotten, they've gotten a guy here or there. But it's really just we're going to go out and get the guys that we get, and we're going to build it into 
you know, and the, the, the maybe the freshmen aren't going to be major contributors, but by the time they're juniors, they're going to be in contention for AAC Player of the Year. I'm going to trust Cincinnati, and I, I thought it was smart that you are too. Yeah, I will. I think Kane Broom, who started his career right up the road for me at Sacred Heart playing in the NEC Conference and was awesome, and then he, he took a red shirt. He played last season. He was good, but I actually think – the key to this will be Kane Broom being fantastic as a, as a as a fifth year senior playing the point for Cincinnati this year. Jerron Cumberland is going to be that team's best player by far. Uh, he's continued to grow. I spoke with the Cincinnati staff, you know, occasionally throughout the offseason. and th- the expectation is that defensively they'll be pretty close to what they've been. But what Cumberland's going to be able to do, the offensive profile of this team is still going to be pretty good. And it was it was solid last year. Obviously, they had that horrific blown lead against Nevada in the tournament. And perhaps Cincinnati would be getting more love if they hadn't really. I think it was the second worst uh, tournament collapse in, in the history of the of the tournament, only usurped by that uh, UNI A&M game from, what, three years ago. Um, if Cincinnati made the second weekend, even pushed through to the Elite Eight. Who knows what the way that bracket broke, by the way. Like, maybe Cincinnati winds up being the the perfect setup and it's not Loyola that gets out of that region but instead it's Cincinnati that makes the final four if that had been the case I think you'd see the Bearcats in the preseason top 25 but that's the tournament and the fallout thereafter so I am going to stick with that and you mentioned the active NCAA tournament streaks Cincinnati is there and there's just not that many teams and it's just a reminder of how hard it is to get to the NCAA tournament season after season with the exception of just a few programs I mean at this point it's just Kansas and do like even Kentucky, you know, it washes out a year. Indiana, UCLA, the Blue Bloods, Louisville, they'll wash out a year here and there. Only Kentucky, Kansas, and Duke, and then Michigan State isn't traditionally considered a Blue Blood, but if you want to call it a modern one, that's absolutely valid. Um, th- those are the teams that have been able to kind of break away from that. But Arizona, Wichita State, I think their streaks are going to end, and that is six years and seven years respectively with those two. So it's hard, and Cincinnati's, you know, a couple years away from going 10 straight seasons. It's going to help, I think, that the American isn't so, so tough around it, and I just think it'll it'll find its separation, finish top two in the league, and if you're top two in that league, you're going to be going to the tournament. Let's wrap up with this. We both published, all of us at CBS Sports, uh, published our final fours. Uh, this week, our projected final fours. And like I said earlier, um, all I do is take my top four teams from the top 25 and move them over here. Those are my final four picks. So it's Kentucky, Kansas, Duke, and Tennessee. And I had a couple people um, say a couple things. Oh, well, let's uh, let's look back at this in March. Well, okay, fine. Well, yeah, let's do it. And it'll be wrong. Just like everybody else's. Nobody ever predicts the final four correctly. <laughs> and then somebody else. So like, what, so what is the, what, what, why are you compelled to point that out? Ooh, I don't think this is going to be right, Parrish. Well, it's probably not, moron. Nobody's is right. It's the it's a freaking single elimination tournament with 68 teams. It, it, trying to pick a Final Four in November is ridiculous, admittedly. But the reason we do it is because idiots like you will click on it. <laughs> so, like, we're going to do it every year. So but, like, the idea that right people now. are compelled to jump on Twitter and say, I don't know about this. Well, oh, I bet I I'll bet you a hundred bucks you're wrong. Well, yes, I'm gonna be wrong. Uh, so is Norlander. So is Jerry Palm. So is literally everybody on the planet who tries to predict the Final Four right now. You get some of this pushback too. I hate these people. I don't even care about the pushback. You're fired up. Hate them, man. Just like stop. Like, hey, just because you care what I say doesn't mean I care what you say. Think about that before you tweet me something ridiculous. Well, Parrish, I don't I don't know about this one. Oh, I, oh, Parrish, I'll be shocked if you get all four teams correct. <laughs> yes, I'll be shocked too. 
Because nobody's going to get all four teams correct. Uh, of course not. But it is fun to try, and after all, they're only predictions. Um, you mentioned year four. I have Kansas winning the national title. They are my preseason number one team, so I will abide by your philosophy there. Um, the best team, more often than not, does not win the national championship in college basketball. Uh, that's a good thing as much as it is a bad thing. I think you know the very nature and popularity of the tournament um, helps with that. But I'll stick with my preseason number one. I got the Kansas Jayhawks going, and then um, – this wasn't my one through four in order, but I tried to pick the teams that I think are going to be assembled well enough to do that, and I do have Kentucky. I do have Nevada. I, I I'm I'm ready to to take take that ship wherever the waters will take me, Parrish. Um, I I was entertaining the thought that maybe we are all so very very wrong on Nevada, and they're just going to be a fun team that's a five seed and doesn't make the second weekend, and it'll be a good year. But we've vastly overrated them. I don't think that's the case, but as I'm writing one of my God knows how many preseason pieces of content, uh, self-doubt just inevitably, it seeps in. But I'm sticking with you. Nevada, I'm in. And not only that, one of my other predictions, I actually have, and this is ridiculous, like it's, it's almost impossible to predict, but I said that the last unbeaten team will lose before we get to the college football national title game. I predict it's going to be Nevada because I don't think they're going to lose at home. And if you look at what they have in their non-conference to me, if you look at the preseason top 25 teams and try and establish which one's most likely to do it, I think it's Nevada. That being said, it's probably going to be some really good team from a, from a low league that somehow navigates the right schedule. Whatever. My last oh. team, in a beautiful kiss of irony, Virginia's going to get to the Final Four, and they're going to do it the year after they lose to UMBC, the 16 seed. Very few people realize that Virginia was the first number one seed to lose to a 16 in the NCAA tournament. Parrish, were you aware of that? I heard about that. I remember it vaguely. Um, and the other thing, and you, you make this point, the best team doesn't always win the national championship, doesn't usually win the national championship. You know, the, the best four teams don't end up in the Final Four. That's why the better way to put it probably is four teams that are going to earn number one seats because that really is, in theory, the best four teams in the country at the, you know, heading into the NCAA tournament. And then all hell breaks loose, usually. Um, it, it's, it's a fun event. But it is not the best way to, to to ensure that the best team wins a national championship, a single elimination tournament of of forty minute games. And so, um, who knows who's going to get to the final four? It's 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 rarely even two teams that uh, or three teams that people think is going to be there. But I will say on Nevada, um, I don't have them in the final in my projected final four because I don't have them preseason top four. But if you're just strictly trying to identify teams that are are going to win. 27, 28, 29, 30 teams, like that's the safest bet by far. They're just not going to lose. Here's the thing with Nevada. Here's the okay. If if Kentucky is really a top 5 team, Kentucky is really going to win a lot of games. If Kentucky's only a borderline top 20 team, it's not going to win quite as many. Same thing for Duke. Uh same thing for Kansas. Nevada if it's a preseason top five team, it's going to win 30 games. I mean, if it's a real top five team, it's going to win 30 games. If it's a borderline top 25 team, you know what it's going to do? Win 30 games right around there. They're just not going to be at risk of losing. They're so much better than everybody else they're going to be playing. So if you're looking for a safe bet to be a, a top five team in the country all season, top 10 team in the country all season, the safest bet on the board is Nevada because they're not going to lose. Yeah, I think that is – Nevada won 
And I would say Gonzaga too, but one piece of news, they did lose Killian Tilly here for about eight weeks. And Tilly's not their best player. I don't think he's their second best player. He might be their third best player, though. He's a valuable piece on that front line. And so now, and I think we'll get, I don't want to, I want to wrap this up. So we'll probably get into this either late next week or the week after. We'll see how Gonzaga starts its season. But it becomes that much more interesting for Gonzaga this season because it's not going to have a critical player during what's always critical for Gonzaga, non-conference play. Uh, How are you going to perform there? And then when Tilly comes back, how are you going to look? We'll see if that has any sort of impact on their seating down the road. But uh, if they had a healthy Tilly, I would say Nevada won Gonzaga too in terms of safest top 10 bets start to finish this season. Shouts! To Devin Downey, shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry, MF, and Teagle, the legend. Shouts to Larnell. And remember, go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcasts. If you've already done that, thank you. We appreciate it. It is a meaningful thing. If you haven't done it yet, please go do it because it is a meaningful thing. And when you do so, rate it favorably. Five stars, nice comments. Anything less, anything less is insulting. Five stars, nice comments. That's all we ask. And we will talk to you again, like I said, on Sunday night. That uh, Ion College Basketball Podcast will be dedicated, I think, uh, strictly to the Champions Classic because we're both flying to Indianapolis on Monday. So we'll talk about it on Sunday night. We'll talk to you then. Till then, take care.